So get this. In 2013, there's a man who is part of a research team that interviewed thousands of individuals who claimed not to be Christian. And he wrote an article based upon this, and I'm going to go ahead and, and just fast forward to this person here. His name is Tom S. Rayner. He's the CEO of Lifeway. So when you go to Lifeway Books, he's the CEO. And he's the person who, with his research team, interviewed thousands and thousands of people uh, who claimed not to be Christians, but he would ask them questions about their belief or lack of belief, what their thoughts were about Christians. And this unorthodox sermon this morning is based upon this research. What I want to share with you about this research, however, is the mindset that many that I have read about this survey and their reactions. Because some would say, well, I don't even think that at all. That's not my thoughts. And I, don't, I cannot see how the research that he says he has done would be valid because it just seems ludicrous to me. Well, mind you, there are a lot of people that may believe in God that are not Christians. There are a number of people who, are, who have been Christians who have turned away from Christianity for their reasons. So there, it's not just atheists. It's not just agnostics. We're talking about a large population of individuals who claim not to be Christians. But I'm sharing this with you because, brethren, our desire is to share the gospel, isn't it? But sometimes not just sharing the gospel, but how we go about sharing the gospel affects those that we strive to share the gospel with. That's assuming you're sharing the gospel. I don't have to make an assumption, though. There are a lot of individuals proclaiming to be Christians who simply do not share the gospel. And some of these research findings you're going to see that will confirm this to be true. Now, I share that with us because I want us to be able to not only, number one, share the gospel, but do it effectively. Do it with love and also know there are going to be times that because we share it, we're just going to be hated. That's just the bottom line. John chapter 17, among other passages, tells us that the world will hate us. That's a reality, brethren. We have to just accept that reality. But we don't have to give them any other reason other than the fact that we love the Lord and love his ways to hate us. We don't have to give them any more reason to hate, like our lack of love or our perceived um, lack of love, because sometimes it can be perceived that way. So let's get into this research, and I want us to, to note some, some things about it. Of these, we're going to look at seven of them. These are the seven most common statements that these researchers have found. This is from the, the non-Christian perspective about Christians. And with these seven that we're looking at, this is one of the most stated statements. And so they've packaged the representation of these statements into um, to this number one point here. And this is a quote from an actual person from the survey. So every time you see a quote down here, that's, that's what someone is saying, their reason that supports this top point. So in, in other words, Christians are against more things than they are for. That's one of the most predominant statements by non-Christians. 
you guys are against this, you're against this, you're against that, you're against this, and you're, what are you for? I'm lo- I was looking at my wife when, when I was making that statement, she, and she's smiling right now. We've heard it so many times. In fact, this is also true within the body of Christ, uh, among brethren that we have fellowship with, where some are saying, well, what do y'all do? Y'all don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do this, you don't do that. What do you do? <laughs> oh, we come to church and we pray to God and we praise Him in song and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we hear a sermon, we have Bible class. Anything else? We live good moral lives. You know, what? So, but you always hear what we don't do, what we don't believe in, things that we are against. And oftentimes, all it takes is just one event in this society, and you'll hear what we are against on social media. Very clearly, here's what we're against. And so this is the perception that many would have. And so this person says, it just seems to me Christians are mad at the world, mad at each other. Is there a reason why the world thinks this, brethren? Have churches ever had, I don't know, maybe a split or two, maybe, in history? They are so negative. They seem unhappy. I have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. That's the perception many have who are saying that they're not Christians by those they have looked to profess to be as Christians. Anyone else ever heard that? I see. I'm shocked. I would expect more of your hands to raise. See, raise your hands so high, I can actually see it. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, you've heard it. Brethren, think about this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says what? Let your light so shine before uh, your light so shine before the world that they may see and glorify God in his works, right? I mean, we should be able to live in such a manner. That there is this peace that surpasses understanding, we're told in Philippians. That when the world looks at us, they cannot help but going, wow, I want that. Why are you so happy? I'm not saying that life is like all smiles 24-7. I mean, when you walk with Christ, there's times in which you get beaten down for your beliefs. That's just the reality. But it does not mean you walk around sorrowful and grumpy and angry all the time. Think about it. This world is in darkness. And the world needs light. If we're not going to shine our light so much so that the world doesn't see what we have as an attractive form of salvation, then we're missing something. Think about the Philippian jailer, and as Paul and Silas, they've been arrested for nothing that they did wrong. And yet, what were they doing at night? They're singing hymns praising God. Could you just imagine that this jailer is thinking, uh, you guys just got thrown in prison, and you're singing? This doesn't make sense. And it was a glorious opportunity for them to shine for the Lord and bring about an opportunity for the gospel to be shared with this jailer. Think about that. This is one of the most prevalent statements 
that non-Christians have about or against Christians. So think about your walk and how you're shining your light. Think about that. Here's a second one. I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. I wish I found this person personally. <laughs> I would like to develop a friendship with a Christian. Here's this quote from this person. I'm really interested in what they believe and how they carry out their beliefs. I wish I could find a Christian who would be willing to spend some time with me. But how many of us do not spend time with non-believers because they're non-believers? Not me. I'm not raising my hand because of this. <laughs> you raise your hand if that's you. Some of you have verbalized it to me. Um, we are told to not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, correct? The scripture says that explicitly. But what we have translated from that passage is not spending any time with people in the world. We might work with them because we have to. But beyond that, what do we do? This passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 is specifically that Christians would not leave non-Christians alone. He, he was talking about having fellowship or a withdrawing of fellowship. And he says, I'm not telling you to withdraw yourself from people of the world. I'm telling you to withdraw yourself from a person who's named a brother. What 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's not the whole context of the, the passage. It's talking about there's a brother who is walking in sin, and we continue to have fellowship with him. But what some Christians have done is saying, that person's a non-believer. I will have nothing to do with them because I don't want to be guilty of, of their influence upon my life. Think about what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. I didn't come to call those who are healthy and well. I came to call the sick. So he calls Matthew or Levi. Calls on the other disciples. Those who would regard themselves as sinners. And he spent time with them. He had meals with them. And sometimes we forget that there are people who are lost in this world seeking for salvation. And we're just waiting for them to come through the doors. While all the same time they're waiting for us, some of them are, to enter into their lives. And just think about the great opportunity that you have because someone is interested in learning about, well, what we believe, how we carry out our beliefs. I want you to think about this because, again, if, if, if this is the seven most prevalent statements about among thousands of those who consider themselves not Christians, how many of them are walking around right in our midst, in our communities, that are curious about Christianity? We live in the Bible Belt, and I've heard it stated in various ways over, what, 25 years of preaching now, that, you know what, just about everyone, even if they're, you hear it in various forms of statements, they already know about Jesus. They may have different beliefs, they may come from a different denomination, what have you, but for the most part, everyone just knows about 
about Jesus. Last week, those 20 baptisms I told you about from, from the camp we had with kids, many of them have never heard about Jesus. How is it that so many at camp could say, I don't know who Jesus was. They might only have known the name of Jesus. They might use his name as a curse word, as a byword, as just a word, but not knowing him, not knowing he's the Christ. And then think about the families that they are in, whether it's their foster care parents, maybe it's um, some other guardian that's watching them as their parents have been incarcerated, that they probably don't even know Jesus. But many of them would like the opportunity, possibly as this research would indicate. So I want you to think about who you're reaching the gospel to or potentially could be reaching the gospel to who may be wanting someone like you in their life. Here's a third one. I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian. This one got me really... um, as it goes with number two, but I was thinking about a statement. Remember, was it two years ago? Maybe I forget now if it was last year or two years ago when I gave that mini-series on Mormonism. Y'all remember we had Mormons that came for that mini-series. They showed up, right? And one of the Mormon men put me in my place, and I'm very grateful for him. He said, Mitch, if we wanted to know about what Members within churches of Christ think, who do you suppose would be better at teaching us about what the churches of Christ believe about subject matters? A person who's a member of the church there or a Mormon? And I just smiled and said, touche. He could teach about Mormonism a whole lot more effectively than I could. Now, he may not want to teach what I would teach as error and what have you, but you get the point. The same thing is true. You have people who want to learn about what the Bible teaches, and so they're going to go to the people that they believe to know what the Bible teaches. But here, it's part of the situation. The Bible really fascinates me, as one person quotes, but I don't want to go to a stuffy and legalistic church to learn about it. It would be nice if a Christian invited me to study the Bible in his home, or at a place like Starbucks. What's interesting is there's a movement going on around the country about um, this app called Meetup. Some of you may be familiar with that, that app, and it's where you can come up with meetings with people. And a, a number of preachers are using this to have Bible studies. And guess what? It includes places like Starbucks. <laughs> What a great opportunity. When I hear people saying, and Christians saying, you know, I don't know what to do. When, when I come to church, there's guys that lead the singing, some lead in the prayers, some, some lead, preside over the table. And I mean, there's not much else for me to do. I need to go to a smaller congregation where I'd be more needed. You may have said that. You may have thought that. You may have heard that. The reality, brethren, is the work of our Lord, most of it is outside this room. Most of it is in our daily interaction with with our fellow neighbor. And there are those in our communities that want to hear 
what we believe about the scriptures. But they come into a room like this, and it's very intimidating. Because in their minds, get this, in their minds, you, some of you, may be regarded as biblical scholars because you know something's in the Gospel of Matthew. Oh, that sounded so important and sounded like you're so smart, Gospel of Matthew. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Not everyone thinks that way, by the way, but there are a number of people that just because you quote a verse in the Bible, a verse, not verses, but a verse, you are some Bible scholar. They want to hear from you. What do you think? What do you believe? But they don't want to come into this building because it's like they're in the midst of all these scholars. They just want to learn about the scriptures. There's a population among us that way. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, here's the um, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, he was told to go and speak to him. He's talking to him as they're making their, their travels back to his homeland. Any place is great to have a Bible study. On the airplane. You might even do it with a comedian. <laughs> Since the Liskies were sitting right next to Tim Hawkins <laughs> on the way coming back. But, uh, of course, Tim probably would quote some Bible verses to you. <laughs> Here's the thing. It doesn't matter where. I I've had Bible studies in um, Dunkin' Donuts. Just doesn't matter where. On an airplane. Brethren, there are people that want to know what the scriptures teach about certain things because they just, they've never learned them. Here's another one. I don't see much difference in the way Christians live compared to others. If I can, well, let me just read the quote from one person. I really can't tell what a Christian believes because he doesn't seem much different than other people I know. The only exception would be Mormons. This is that person's bubble of experience in life. They really seem to take their beliefs seriously. If you want to have a reputation about family, the unit, the family unit, who has that reputation? Mormons do. By and large, you're not going to find um, many Mormons professing to be devout Mormons who have uh, just very disruptive, chaotic families. That doesn't mean they don't have their issues and what have you, but this is this person's perspective, and it's like, I'm looking at people who profess to be Christians, but they're doing all kinds of things that look just like the world. So what's the difference? We used Matthew chapter 5 earlier, right? Shine your light for the Lord. That um, We're a city set on the hilltop. 1 Peter chapter 4. I want you to read this passage with me. Because I want you to see that people of the world, when they see a Christian has been converted to Christ, they see a very different person, a very different lifestyle. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who had suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Instead, for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness. In lusts, in drunkenness, in revelries, in drinking parties, in abominable idolatries. This list is of all heinous sins. It, and just for a side point, it is not a level of sin. It is just the, the lewdness, 
the lascivious lifestyle, the immorality of the Gentiles. That's what the contrast is between those who walk in the, and according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. He says, in regard to these in verse 4, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the flood of dissipation. Speaking evil of you. But if they can't tell the difference between you and a Gentile and you're professing to be a Christian, then they're wondering, why would I want to become a Christian? I don't have to make any change. Or for that matter... Some may become Christians, but live no differently because that's what they view as Christianity, this, this concept right over here. But we're called to a walk that is a holy calling, one that says, Lord, I give you my life because I want to lead souls to your wonderful salvation, into your wonderful kingdom. And so does the world see that difference in us? This is, again, one of the most predominant statements by non-believers of Christianity. So think about your walk before them in that regard. Number five. I wish I could learn to be a better husband, wife, dad, mom, etc. from a Christian. Now, I have, I'll have more to say about this. I'm going to come back to this one in the next slide. But by and large... If you look at people in the world and you look at people who profess to be believers in Christ and have a strong belief and conviction in walking with the Lord, you're going to see a statistical difference from a worldly standpoint about healthier lives, healthier lifestyles. And so there are a number of believers, in fact, uh, or unbelievers, and I have one in my head right now. Um... I work out with this person in, in, in martial arts. And this life, this life of his is crazy. And I've tried opening up my heart to him because it feels like he's just always walking in pain over his divorce situation. And there's times when I hear from people in the world saying, I wish I could have a better marriage, but... And some of them are saying this. In fact, enough that this made the top seven statements from thousands among thousands. My wife is threatening to divorce me, and I think she means it this time. My neighbor is a Christian. He seems to have it together. Just focus on the word seems for now, because I'm going to get back to that. <laughs> I am swallowing my pride and asking him to help me. Wow. What a great opportunity. This is why I'm going to get back to number five. If there's anything that, to me, from my personal vantage point that I've heard, this would be number one on my list. Some Christians try to act like they have no problems. You know that, that man who's not a Christian looking at his friend that is one and going, I, I, want, I wish he could just show me how to be a better husband or how to be a better spouse and what have you. But brethren, how many of us, if we were just take off a mask that we might have on and, brethren, if we just were to be completely honest, we wear masks. How many would see we don't have it all together? 
I don't know if you guys pick up, you may not be able to see it from where you're sitting, but over here it says, I am not afraid, I never lie, I love you, I am trustworthy, and beneath the mask on her face is the very opposite. I don't love you as much as you think I love you. I sometimes deceive you. I'm not always trustworthy. I mean, that's the reality that, that many Christians have. But the thing is, because we put our best foot forward and because we want the, the cause of Christ to look more attractive, we sometimes put on the mask. And putting on the mask so that others will go, I want what you have. Rather than it being completely genuine, and the completely genuine may be that you may have it all together. When I say you have it all together, that doesn't mean you're without sin. But that you realize, you can say to them, you know what? I have a wonderful marriage. I have a beautiful life, but I am not without sin. And, and I'm the first to let you know, I struggle with this sin. But who wants, to, who wants to do that as a preacher? Who wants to do that as an elder or a deacon or a Bible class teacher or as a Christian who has a reputation in the community? But I tell you what, the world needs to know that just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're without sin anymore. You want to reach lost souls, take off the mask. And at times, I'm not saying air all your dirty laundry, but let them know. Because otherwise, to them, Christianity is so unreachable. Like, I have to become a perfect person before I can enter into this church of yours, professing Christianity. That's the reality of how non-Christians think. In my understanding, this would be number one on the list. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we quote it so many times but brethren we have to be able to you know like um when you go well if you're willing to do it i've never been personally been to a 12-step program of any kind two three four five six seven about seven eight there's something about being able to do it the very first time how difficult it is But when you get past that, the second time is not as difficult. After some point, you're just, I own it. And when you own it, the mask comes off. We're told we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God, but some Christians have difficulty saying, I say, one, one professed Christian said, it's been five years since my last sin. I don't know who that person was. And I, I say that with a laugh, but, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to the person because there are some that, you know, they live wonderful, godly lives, but sometimes we deceive ourselves, too. That the heart can simply think of arrogance, like, I'm glad I'm not like that sinner over there. And that's the reality. We may even be blind to our own sins when we think that way. But anyway... We've got this mask, and sometimes, in fact, a lot of times, the world can see right through the mask. And lastly, I wish a Christian would take me to his or her church. You talk about, <laughs> I want to know who this person is. I wish someone could take me. 
Well, guess what? Last week, I know, um, sitting next to, to Vince and Cheryl, I, I just remember Paul and Vicky and Merlin, I forget, Merle, Marie, Merlene, Miss Merlene. They came and visited because they were invited by Vince. He is the physical therapist of Miss Merlene. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even remember her name. I just said it anyway. Um, he works with one of them and invited them. They're not going to come unless they're invited. Some of them, maybe a ride to come over. I, would, I really would like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself. What is weird is that I'm 32 years old and I've never had a Christian. 32 years old, I have never had a Christian invite me to church in my entire life. I was almost 21 years old before I became a Christian. And prior to that, I probably went to a church building of some kind, whether it's Catholic, Methodist. I think those are the only two that I remember. Oh, and I went to some non-denominational one under a tent. Maybe 10 times my entire life, not even 10. I went to a quote-unquote church camp, did not know it was a church camp until we were doing the communion. Then I realized later on after becoming a Christian that was a Catholic camp I had gone to, not even known that it was. That's it. And up until I was about 21, I might have been asked by two or three people to visit their church. That's what I remember. 21 years. 32 years, not once. Think about all the opportunities that we have in our community. Now, here's a takeaway, and this is what's so important, I, I think. Mark read for us out of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. The focus is in verse 2. Because Jesus is going to send his disciples out. Unless Jesus would send them out, they're not going to go. I mean, when you hear words like, they're going to hate you, but know that if they hate you, they hated me first. <laughs> know that your lives are going to be threatened. And as he says elsewhere, you're going to be suffering the way I have suffered. They're not going to just go on their own. Jesus sends them out, but he says to them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I appreciate that we would pray for the men um, that we're supporting, whether it's going to be um, Brother Don Bunting in New York, Scott Tope in South Africa, Foster Leon in Peru, or Brother Danielle in Mexico City, or all our Indian brothers in India. I'm glad we support them. The work that they're doing is just phenomenally wonderful for the cause of Christ. Amen. But what about our backyard? What about us? Not what about me or some of you, but what about all of us? Brethren, I will never stop 
preaching our need as a congregation of believers to be evangelistic. And I think we have become much more evangelistic now, at least in the six years I've been here. And that is so commendable that we share the gospel to our incarcerated neighbors. But we need to share the gospel with our neighbors who are not incarcerated as well. And it's an effort for all of us. And remember, if we are so convicted about our beliefs that we're willing to to act upon our convictions coming here to this building, how much more those convictions when we talk to our neighbors? Because we might stumble across someone who is waiting for us to invite them to this building. Someone who who wants to um, have us open up our Bibles with them. Now, mind you, and I want to say this the last thing. There are non-believers as you probably are well um, acquainted with, who don't want anything to do with Christianity. Brethren, we don't need to spend time throwing pearls, if you will, at those who aren't going to receive them. But there are those who are searching. There are those that want to hear the gospel. There are those who have stated so, and this research among thousands show that to be the case. So here's the thing. Oh, I had one more slide. All right. I'm going to make the points. It's right in here. The harvest is great. One of the wonderful blessings, brethren, of our morality going downhill in this nation, and it is a blessing, is that light gets to shine more easily. As we as a society get more corrupt, it's easier to share the gospel than ever before. There are more people that don't know about the Lord, anything about him, all because of this degradation within our society that gives us a greater opportunity for this harvest. But the laborers are few. It was few in the first century. It's few in the 21st century. Who's going to step up to the calling? It's great that we have individuals that we support this way, but what about the rest of us in our own daily walk? Step up the calling, brethren. The Lord of harvest is ready. Let's pray for such. Just as Jesus taught. There are so many souls that they can come to the Lord. You know, think about this prayer. I'll share with this as, as we get ready for the invitation song. Um, on May 28th, 1989... That's a day that I became a Christian. On May 27th, I met Andy and Kathy Barrent. They live near Tuscaloosa. <laughs> Andy's still preaching. But I remember that Kathy and Andy, they would try and have Bible studies all throughout Bedford, Ohio. And at one point, they were so discouraged because... I mean, they left flyers in stores. They, they would actually go to um, Kmart. I don't know if they had a Walmart back then. They had all, whatever stores they went in, big lots or whatever, and they would just put flyers on clothing racks, on bulletin boards, just leave them at the cashier on, on the table and things, just anywhere they could. Not a single Bible study. So Kathy started praying, Lord, if we cannot get um, someone that we're trying to reach with your word, 
would you please send someone to us? And that day, I knocked on the door. You talk about the providence of God. She prayed the Lord of Harvest would provide an opportunity for the gospel to be shared. And I came knocking on the door, and they were serious about wanting to share the gospel. So they let me actually stay in their home as a complete stranger that they had never met till that day. I'm the result. Thanks be to God. They let a stranger into their home. And a stranger is now their brother. That stranger is your brother in Christ standing before you today. How many more possible strangers can turn to the Lord if we open our hearts up? Brethren, let that encourage you. I'm not asking you to be foolish, but I'm asking you to lay down your cross. I mean, take up your cross, lay down your life, I should say, so that you can walk with the Lord and suffer with him and share the good news that he wants us to share. That's your invitation. So, what's your answer? <laughs> this song may be for the person who's not a Christian, but I'm asking you, what is your answer, brother or sister? We want the world to be saved. Well, let's go reach the gospel to them so that we can ask them this question. What will your answer be? If you're here and you're subject to that calling, I ask you to come now to become a child of God. If you don't know, we'll talk to you, talk with you about that. If you do know, begging you, do what you know to be right. If your conviction lies within you, do that right now that you may walk to rise in newness of life. And brethren, if you need our prayers, by all means, as we do every week, come. We'll pray for you in any way we can. Come now, together we stand and sing.